0: Howdy, and welcome to this episode of Conversations at Music My Mother Would Not Like podcast. It's a series of conversations with artists, singer-songwriters, about their current projects, and industry people about the current trends. The program is hosted by myself and produced by Bruce Swan. The podcast will endeavor to, to be a bridge from the weekly live concert series to the weekly radio show. While unaffiliated, they are connected with the sharing of the same name, music, my Mother Would Not Like. You can find more information about the series and the weekly programming about the radio shows at musicmymotherwouldnotlike.com. The radio show can be heard live on WSFMLP 103.3 FM Asheville, North Carolina. It can also be heard live on ashevillefm.org and the programs are archived at the website too. The program airs on Mondays from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The weekly music series with the same name can be heard and seen on Zoom and Facebook. You can get more information on the website and on my Facebook page with the same name. Registration for the series is always free. It is a donation-based event. That's how we pay the artists. The podcasts will vary in length. Many of the episodes will come from interviews conducted live in the radio studios or via telephone and now via Zoom. Nothing has been taken out of context, and they may be updated if it's possible and or appropriate. The opinions expressed will be those of the speakers and not necessarily of any of the radio stations that I have been lucky enough to be affiliated with over the years. It's owners, staff, or boards of directors, past or present. You can support this project through PayPal account. In time, there will be a Patreon account that will have heads up on articles, interviews, etc. One step at a time, right? If you're digging what you're listening to, tell a friend, would you? Would you do that for me? If you'd like to support the show and would like to, a shout out of thanks, just let me know in the PayPal comments, and we'll uh, we'll do so. It's good to hear from you. I, I love reading your comments. Please indicate that you are sending the donation as a gift to a friend in PayPal. Otherwise, they'll charge some fees that I don't think you had intended to expend. Any little bit helps, and if I've learned anything from. My years in community radio, it's that lots of big things happen and can get done when many hands chip in a little. Think about the cost of a cup of coffee at your local favorite spot. Maybe you're listening while you're sipping, and I'm glad to be keeping company with you, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at. Would your business, firm, company, project, whatever, like to meet cool people like yourself? Maybe you'd like to consider being a sponsor of the programming. Working with people that share like interests with you is often the best way to get things done. You can write to me at the website musicmymotherwouldnotlike.com. I'll get back to you as fast as possible. Conversations at Music My Mother Would Not Like currently enjoy the benefits of being connected with and sponsored by hereatthere.com and our new sponsor. We're glad to be welcoming UndiscoveredMusic.net. Hereatthere.com is an online arts publication that supports the arts and culture of the New York City tri-state area with concentrations in the Hudson Valley and Western Connecticut. Intelligent, well-written blog columns about music and the arts can also be found on this site. Check it out, hereatthere.com. Consider marketing your upcoming events on hereatthere.com. I do. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to get to know many musicians and industry people. The musicians are often the band's principal singer, or in the case of a singer-songwriter, the only person with whom the conversation is really with. I've also been privileged to get to know many radio personalities, directors of festivals, owners of venues, record promoters, and producers. And many of the conversations were to promote a single event, like a local concert or a discussion about a new album with a deep dive into the project. I find that sometimes, as a listener, knowing a little bit more about the artist as a person makes going to the concert just that much more interesting. It does for me. That takes a little bit of probing. Conversations are much like anything else. It's about listening as well as about the talking. It's been two weeks since the premiere episode was published with guest David Wilcox. I want to thank everyone that listened, sent me their comments, and told a friend or two. Sadly, this week marked the passing of a great singer songwriter. He was respected and revered by his colleagues and simply loved by his fans. I arrived late to the party and would only get to know him initially with what was then his new album. It's interesting that as I was awaiting to be called on to board an airplane that would bring me to a conference that would allow for our paths to cross. You know, I spoke a little bit about podcasting or his regular conversations with people. I thought that while I was waiting, I'd pick up a phone and just give him a call before boarding the plane and pick his brain a little bit and see if we couldn't make a plan to chat at the conference that we would be attending together a couple of days later. You know, I opted not to call him. I felt that it was inappropriate to call a celebrity without a previously arranged call time and therefore decided the conversation would just have to wait until we could meet in person. Sadly, that night while performing on stage with other artists in the round, he paused in the middle of the song, apologized, and died. The following podcast is taken from an interview that I conducted. July of 2019, after the release of This Side or the Other, it was a beautiful record. The second part of the broadcast will incorporate a recent conversation with one of his favorite songwriting co-writers, Abby Gardner. By way of explanation... The interview was for a segment of the radio program that I called The side Show, where each week I would present an interview with an artist about a specific record and then air it in two parts, part one or side one, on, on show one week, and then the following week, more of the same interview. In the conversation, you'll hear that we may say, let's drop in the first or second side, and we'll be right back with David Olney. Well, rules of governing broadcast of podcasts will not permit me to air the record or the or his music, but the words were meant to be remain. And I think very little has been taken out of uh, that was edited out and nothing was taken out of context. Hello, David. Good morning. My name is Bruce Swan sorry i'm uh how are you
1: good good
0: have we got a clear can you hear me well yep excellent outstanding well listen thanks so much for taking some time to to chat we're joined this week on the sideshow with david Olney. we'll be chatting about the beautiful record this side or the other haunting in parts um Beautiful throughout, and finishes up with an interesting cover. David, welcome to the sideshow on WRFR, and, and thanks so much for taking a couple of moments. And I appreciate you chatting us up about this new record.
1: Well, it's good to good to be talking to you, and I love talking about this record. I'm very <laughs> proud of it.
0: I can I think you should be um, with 29 records, including solo and live records behind you, and 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 really, the, I guess the solo process began. In 1986, you've got prominence with with several bands, and your music has been covered as well as co-written with some real legendary artists. Um, it's 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 again it's it's really a pleasure to to have you with us. We'll be covering the first five tracks this week, and then pick up the second five, sort of as music might have been heard, certainly for me as a kid in the 70s, where it was not unusual to hear one side of a record one night, and then the second the next night, or sometimes if you're really lucky, you get the whole record through and through, but you never got the conversation with the artist, and that's what I've always felt that was lacking with with FM radio and the album-oriented radio of, of the six, of the late 60s, early 70s, and through the mid-70s, so that's really what this is, is all about, and it being a CD, we can't literally cut it in half, but I think mathematically it works well that we'll play the first five tracks, beginning with Always the Stranger and finishing up with Running from Love, and then the second five tracks next week, but Mm-hmm. The uh, the record is thematic through and through, and, and you've written in your notes um, at davidolney.com that it wasn't meant as a concept album, yet we run through many images and imagery of walls. And um, even beginning with the, the front, the beginning we talked about with the old, Always a Stranger, and your references to Johnny Cash. And sounds the music sounds a little Johnny Cash like, but the Stranger, yes. you know, the, uh, Always a Stranger feeling, I think certainly the the, uh, challenges of immigration through our country, be it legal, illegal, um, asylum-oriented or otherwise, and and then certainly the wall. We build this thing brick by brick. David, was this this a conscious decision as you sat down to work this record through and through, or did one song sort of build on the other?
1: I think uh, I've been playing these songs uh, live, and it, uh, I didn't consciously write the songs to to around a theme, but uh, one uh, time I, th- I was playing with the bass player Dan Seymour, and I just uh, the set list put a lot of these songs together, mm-hmm. maybe, or maybe about three or four of them. And I thought, well, wait a minute, there seems to be something forming there. So uh, over the you know, following months, I would uh, see what songs I could add to that walls and borderline. And some of them uh, were older songs and some of them were new. And a couple I wrote, I got sort of excited about the ideas. And finally, you know, there were eight or nine songs that I would do in concert. Mm -hmm. uh, Basically, as you hear them on on the CD. Uh, so it was kind of a combination of both being conscious of it and it just kind of growing organically well let's let's just go back
0: a little bit and talk about some perhaps the, the writing process for you as you as you work on some of these songs and I know that and as so I was reading through your notes um, Stand Tall took 25 years in the making um, yeah. from, from beginning to end but is the do the songs with the exception of that one, certainly, do they come to you quickly? Do they do they need to be worked on over long periods uh, of time, generally?
1: Uh, stand Tall was an unusual uh, thing that, that it took so long to kind of uh, get that in shape. And I don't know why, but uh, I have theories, but we'll get to them, I, su- I assume, at some point. <laughs> uh, the, on the other... Uh, songs uh, I would uh, uh, write a lot with a guy named John Hadley and uh, say like uh, always a stranger I would have a verse or two already kind of together and I would just go to him and say listen this is what I got you know how can we uh, finish this out and he's a kind of a brilliant Sort of guy, in the way that he can uh, throw in on any kind of song, mm-hmm. and kind. Of, it used to be that I would always write, you know, by myself. It was kind of a source of pride, and then at some point, I, I found that I was not finishing songs. I felt like I was repeating myself, and when I started writing with John, it was very refreshing to just have some idea come in from out of left field and uh, it would make the songs more exciting to me. So anyway, that was that particular song. Uh, we went, so I took it in one afternoon. We, uh, basically got it written and then you kind of live with it for a day or two. And then you go, okay, we need to change this or that it's basically gets down to maybe a word here or there, but the song was basically, uh, done in an afternoon
0: do as you're writing are you hearing the song either coming together musically in your head does it do the words come to you first or does the uh mm-hmm. the music come to you first what's what's the norm
1: uh i it's been different over the years now over the last couple of years I really try to get uh a, a melody going a chord structure uh because it'll it acts as a kind of editor. Mm-hmm. The, you've got the melody; you have to make the words fit into the into that allowed space. Where if you go the other way and write the words first, it's it's a much more dicey proposition to try to force a melody to accommodate the words. Interesting. So I basically I try to I'll sit down. You know, maybe once a month. And <clears throat> just put down some musical ideas, you know, on tape or record them on my phone mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just kind of listen to them, live with it for a while and then try to uh, just get a phrase going and and build from there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you, you you finish the whole song yourself and then other times I'll, I'll take it to someone else and, and try and get a an outside idea uh, to throw in. Is it, is it hard? I mean, as you've, if
0: you've obviously have gone to someone for some help, some assistance, but is it, is it difficult to, to have that person as in their helping process cutting lines here, or adding words here or challenging a phrase to you? So like, you know, why did well, you put this in and, and, and all that?
1: Yeah. Um, because uh, I'm, I'm always thinking, in the back of my mind, I'm going to record this, if this comes out good I'm, I'm going to be the one to record this, and that kind of gives me veto power, okay, so I, I stay kind of in charge of the process, I'm just kind of it sounds kind of egotistical, but I'm kind of keeping charge of the process just because I'm going to be the one who's going to record it. mm
0: hmm well, I think that somebody has to be in charge in, in, in all collaborations, even when one's asked for assistance. You're right. Ultimately, it's going to be your name on the record, and ultimately you're the one who's going to have to sit in the studio and record those lines. And perhaps yeah. one or the other is not going to come out of your voice the way or out of your mouth, the way you think your voice would sound for that song or that word. So, yeah, it's it's. Um, but I think it would be hard, for me anyway. I've done some writing, and, and to watch the editing process, you ask someone to... to proof your your project or to edit your project and they come back with all this red marks he's like well no uh, <laughs> this is mine <laughs>
1: uh, I can I, you know I'm in the room with the other person while they're working on it and I, and I feel comfortable and I've written with John a whole lot sure, uh, to just say no that's not the way I want to go on this song uh, but for every time that I might say that there are other times where I'll just go, whoa, oh, you know, where did that come from, John? That's great. You know, it's just something that I wouldn't have thought of. So it's kind of give and take, but yeah, I maintain the, you know, I'm the one who's driving the bus. <laughs> you know, I've written with, I've written with other people, uh, recently with, uh, Abby Gardner. I don't know if you're familiar with her oh, yeah. work. She was, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, uh, She's come down and she'll say, well, I'm going to be recording some stuff and I'll say, here's the keys to the bus, you know, (laughs) any way I can help out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, right at the beginning, you kind of decide who's going to be in charge.
0: Well, she does collaborate with you on the song "Death Will Not Divide Us," and we're going to get to that next week in the second half of the mm-hmm. program. I got a couple questions about Abby, but she is a delight, and and fans of this program and and other radio folk shows are certainly familiar with her solo work, her work with um, her husband Craig Aiken, and certainly, absolutely, the beautiful work with her and and in Red Molly's. So- If you're passionate about music as a musician presenter or a fan please check out undiscovered music Dot net it's a phenomenal source of information about where to see music live or at a venue information about the artists are accessible links to their websites and social media too for touring musicians it's an available source for venues house concerts festivals etc undiscovered music is the newest sponsor of conversations at music my mother would not like we're back i'm bruce swan i'm joined via telephone with david olney singer songwriter poet Actor, um, podcaster, weekly broadcaster. When I, when I started, Dave, when I started looking at some of the things that, that you do on a regular basis, I thought, how in the world can one man do all this stuff? I mean, I, I don't know how you budget your time. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm impressed. And I enjoyed the last episode you did um, of, of your weekly your weekly programming. Um, yeah. You we, never know. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And and you read one of your sonnets. I think it was number fifty nine. You wrote from this book of sixty sonnets. And there's books of haiku and other poetry books and short stories. Uh, is that an outlet for you for songwriting? Is just another chapter of you? What you know? How did how did the other writing projects come together for you?
1: I'm I'm a songwriter. That's my strength. And the uh, other things are. 't want you know I don't want to make it sound like I don't take them seriously, but I always know that I'm more likely to write a good song than I am to write a good sonnet. But the way the sonnets came about is I was on tour in Europe and I kind of challenged myself to write uh, verses. there would be four-line verses, and they would follow the rhyme scheme from Robert Frost. Uh, stopping by woods on a snowy evening mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this poem uh, Whose Woods These Are I think I know His house is in the village though He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow So the rhyme scheme there is like A, A, B, A But then the B that's in that verse becomes the A in the next verse Okay and it, it just goes on like that. So I thought, OK, I'm going to be on tour for a couple of weeks. Every day I'll write some verses and I'll do that. You know, A, A, B, A, and then take the the odd line in that verse and make it the main line in the next verse. Mm-hmm. And I just got caught up in doing it. I didn't try to make any sense. I would just whatever sort of occurred to me I'd write about. But I kept that rhyme scheme. And I got back. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And I thought, you know, uh, like writing a sonnet just seemed to me the most obscure, weird thing that you could possibly do. Uh, 14 lines and, uh, you know, a strict rhyme scheme and then a couplet at the end. Uh, and I thought, you know, it's not that far out of reach. I just take, you know, three of these four line things and then add a couplet to it and I would have the form. It's, it's right there. And I started doing that, and uh you know finally came up with one mm-hmm. and i thought and i just felt so proud and uh i just this is amazing and then it, for about a two months i it was like i got a, a you know a sonnet a day it was it was a really amazing little run and I haven't written any in a while now, but i got came up with sixty sonnets. Uh, over the over a couple of years uh and so it started out as just kind of a mental uh exercise but then it you know I, you you notice that this is the way we think about things we an idea pops into our head and you look at it, and that would be the first four lines. The next four lines would be to just look at it in a more intricate way. And then the third verse would be to say, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe it's the total opposite. I mean, you're weighing things in your mind. And then at the end, you go for the couplet. This is the way I've, I've, I've come to this conclusion about it all. And I thought, you know, that kind of mirrors the kind of the way humans think about things. So that was all. That's the way that came about. And other things like that, but like i say always i know that my strength is going to be st- uh, songwriting i
0: i think it's it's neat um and the discipline of it and whether whether you fell into it serendipitously or not it still it took on a life of its own it became a project it became something that 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 you found and it found you and and um enjoyed doing curious though why you stopped at 60 and have you ever thought about going back into doing it
1: uh, oh yeah I, I would have to I don't know I would have to just say I'm on I'm, this is what I'm going to do I'm not going to do anything else and just concentrate it's it's uh you kind of you have to get into a certain mindset the the thing that intrigued me about it was and it's also what intrigues me about songwriting is form versus uh, you know content, mm-hmm. substance. Uh, and you think, especially when you're young in your 20s, that you want to break the form, you want to go where no one has dared go before. And after a while in songwriting, I just got to where I really appreciated the forms that it kind of developed over the centuries you know, the verse, verse, chorus, or whatever, these things uh, are there for a reason, you know, because they work well. And uh, you come to appreciate that. And I just, I looked at other forms. And it's a lot of times in songwriting, I will say, don't worry about trying to come up with some profound truth about something. Just try to stay in, in the form and trust that it'll come out okay.
0: Well, I think in youth, we, we do sort of try to challenge convention and then perhaps time or aging helps us see the wisdom of convention and, and why, why it is a conventional and universally accepted way of doing it. Sure, there are, there are alternatives and variations thereof. And, and certainly people that have been very, very successful by going outside of the norm but there is a there is reason for the convention. And um, I think it, it just takes us time to find, to find the reasoning for the convention and then, then fall into line. Yeah. Like, the, like the, the discipline of writing the sonnet, staying true to that form and not, it'd be easy to say, OK, well, I'm just going to change this and say, that's my way of doing it. But that, that sort of goes outside of the discipline, where the discipline may have been the, 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 real, you know, the real root cause or the root uh, impetus. For the project on the yeah. the long run
1: yes well, uh a lot of i think a lot of songwriting uh, now i I came up when folk music was a big deal, and those were very strict forms and you you had to learn those and a kind of apprentice yourself to learning other people's songs, and then you could kind of go out and and Stretch them, sometimes break them, uh, but you had to learn the forms first, and I feel very fortunate that that's the time I, that I was learning how to write when, uh, when that was going on and, and that I served that kind of apprenticeship
0: well we're going to get a little ahead of ourselves, but I think it's it's appropriate then to ask this this question I sort of thought about at the end but your songs are their originals there's collaborative projects, and then there's a cover at the end um, mm-hmm. is Is that a sort of a throwback to the, to your your apprenticeship uh, of, of youth or well
1: uh, or did it just work yeah. to the record um it's, kind of, it's again it's kind of both things uh Steve Dawson, the guy who produced uh the c d and whose studio we were using uh We'd done most of the other songs, at least the basic tracks. And he just said, oh, why don't you, why don't you do, just do another song? And maybe it might have even been just to get the sounds in the studio. Play something. i got to get work on the drum sound or the guitar sound. And we, uh, I, I don't think that I had played this uh, live with the band. I'd done it myself, so I knew the song. Uh, she's not there. And uh we just sort of roared into it. And uh, I certainly wasn't thinking this is gonna be on the record, but Steve uh had the wit to to keep the tape going and we went back and listened to him and you know, that's really that really sounds okay. Uh and we just kinda went with it. And I think, you know, the human mind uh does this thing we're giving any random uh say songs you kind of organize them in your head so that they uh kind of tell a story or there's kind of a uh, a to b to c thing and mm-hmm. i think she's not there actually kind of does fit in in a more i'd say in a more uh light way uh with the, the other songs She's Not There uh, kind of presupposes a, a separation of some sort. If she if you weren't separated, then she would be there. Mm-hmm. But so And, and, and also musically, the, the sound of it, I thought, fit in well.
0: Well, when I heard the, the song come up after Stand Tall, it sort of made me smile. I thought, I, I know this song, but I didn't recognize it immediately. So I was listening to it, I was listening to it, I was like, I know this song. I know this song. And then of course yeah it's the zombies. And then yeah, it does kind of make some sense as you work it through Music My Mother Would Not Like weekly series, a streamed concert series every Tuesday night. Shows start at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Zoom doors open at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can get up-to-date information on the performers, past and current. Links to free registration at musicmymotherwouldnotlike.com. Well, we're back. We're joined via telephone with David Olney. We've been talking about this great new record, This Side or the Other, release in 2018. David, good to be with you, and thanks so much for sharing both the record and sharing some time as we work our way through the second half this week. Welcome back, mm-hmm. and good to be hanging with you. Um,
1: yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you. Uh,
0: I, I love this record, and, and I'm glad we were able to put this together and, and scheduling permitted. Um, had a couple of challenges. I had a car problem, and so anyway, here we are, and it's good to be back with you. Um, in the second track, the second half of the record, you work on the song Death Will Not Divide Us with Abby Gardner, of formerly of Red Molly, and now currently the, the band is back on tour for, I guess, some uh, short run of, of sort of um, boutique performances, if you will. And we talked last week about how that came together, but have you worked more with, have you worked often with Abby as, as Opportunity presented itself, or um, had you, had you, plan to do this song with her
1: she the way it's worked out is she has come to town either to play a gig or to do um, some music business stuff but she was uh, nice enough to call and say would you like to uh, try and write a song and the first time we got together uh, was with John Hadley Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and we wrote this really uh, played it quite a lot live a song called "A uh, Weary Me," and it's just kind of a folk song. I think we were all just trying to get into a, a place where we were comfortable, and uh, so the first time out, we wrote this song that I thought was really kind of cool. And uh, the next time, I thought we wrote some other song. I think. It, it, anyway, it's been four or five times that I've sat down and written with her, and always we come up with something. I enjoy spending time with her, uh, just, you know, just a couple of hours, and she was very efficient uh, the way she works. Um, so, and we always come up with something. And "Death will not divide us" was a, a uh, just a phrase that I had in my head, and I had kind of some musical ideas and then she just uh jumped in i remember um there's a moment the line of there's a moment of decision when the ground comes up to meet us and i thought wow that's i wish i'd said that um I'm, <laughs> I'm glad somebody said it and it was perfect for what for where the song seemed to be going it's you know that song if you don't do it right it can be such a heavy idea death will not divide us. I mean, you're pretty much in the, in the upper uh, ether on that song right off the bat. And to me, the main thing was it had to rock and that the words had to be done in such a way um, that made it less, that that kept it from being ponderous. But I love doing that song. Very proud of it.
0: I I enjoyed it. And I thought it, it to be profound um, and beautiful as well as um, optimistic yet final that there's a finality in death but that's not what will separate us that we that our bond is solid our union is strong and that it's going to take more than the simplicity of of death to to make that union dissolve
1: you know we we humans I hear songs and they uh, They pretty much irritate me is songs that will say something like uh, uh, you know I believe I can fly and I'm going don't no don't do that you'll hurt yourself (laughs) and to say something like death will not divide us there's part of my brain going, going are you kidding? death divides everything but it's not so much the truthfulness of it as the fact that we want it to be true you can love somebody so much that you just think I'll, I'll even death won't won't separate us, and that's kind of what I wanted to get across.
0: Well, I've known people that will speak of their their late spouse um, as though they were in the next room, and it's not it's yes. not that they've lost their marbles or that they're soft in the head or anything like that. that but and 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 obviously they're conscious of the fact that the person has deceased. Yet the the affections and the love is so strong that you really, if you didn't know otherwise, you would really believe that that person could easily be in the other room without you know without yep. anything weird or, or funky going on. That 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 that, yeah. that bond is that tight that no matter what.
1: Uh, I've right had there. it in my in my mind. Uh, uh, my parents are you know both deceased, and some. Sometimes during the day, I'll be doing something, or see something, or read something. Say, yeah, you know, I'd like to tell mom, I need to, you know, talk to my mom about this, or I need to talk. I'd like to tell my dad about this. And that little, it's like uh, missing a step on when you're going upstairs or something. That little, oh, I forgot they're dead. (laughs) You know, they they are with us in a in a very real way and uh yeah that's part of what that song is trying to do and plus it kind of reinforced uh the idea of separation what's what is going on when we when we separate people you know these songs were written before all this stuff with the separating the children from the parents that's going on now in my mind i always saw a young couple, uh, you know, romantically involved or maybe newly married or something being separated. And I didn't even see the, the separation of parent and child until it came up, you know, these last few months. Uh, but that's what, the separation part as it related to Trump's wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I that's what I had in mind.
0: I was I was moved by the song, and I was interest. I'm interested, David, in in it preceding "Open Your Heart" and let me in. I thought maybe perhaps the, mm-hmm. the two might have worked better in reverse order, um, but wonder why perhaps that the 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 seventh track uh, precedes the eighth track.
1: I think that was just the way things sounded. I think I think Steve Dawson and I kind of thought. Uh, just sonically, we mm-hmm. needed to have a different kind of sound there. But I wanted to have so many of the songs almost are, are kind of dark uh, and seeing the wall in a negative way, which is the only, basically the only way to see that particular wall. There they, they wasn't a song that said, well, let's do it this way instead. And I wanted to have something to say, okay, if you're not going to separate people, what do you do? Well, you open your heart and you let them in. And that's, I thought it was kind of time for that idea to be presented.
0: Timely indeed. We're back. We've just shared the second half. And... Which makes me sad. It was a beautiful record, but that sort of concludes our time together. And David, I, I loved from your website. I got a, a note on Facebook. I mean, like the all the all-calling uh, social um, net about your program, your weekly program. You never know where you come to us once a week for those who want to, uh, to share your time, or either live or uh, catching on YouTube or from your website, davidolney.com. How did that come together for you, and how long has it been going on?
1: Radio show, you never know, was from my manager, Mary Sack. And initially, I was very uncomfortable with it, but kind of grew into it. And I think it works for me because I'm not comfortable going on Facebook and chatting that way. Um, I like the idea of, of just getting out and talking to everyone about something that may have uh, crossed my mind and letting people know where I'm going to be playing and, uh, and then playing a song and kind of talking a little bit about where it came from. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's worked out well for me. It's not a totally intuitive thing to do. You, i'm looking at someone holding a you know a camera right and trying to imagine that there's you know lots of people out there, but that's what you you know you have to do it on the radio. you can 't see all the people who are listening it's I guess it's part of uh, the human ability to suspend their disbelief
0: yeah it it it's a little bit different on radio because people have to use their imagination. One more degree, um, but then I'm not as vulnerable as you are on on television. You can't you can't see your audience. You can see the the, the person videoing you, and um, and then it's over. And then it's done. It's finished. Maybe it's edited. Maybe it's not edited. And that's the interaction for me on the radio. I can't see anybody, and 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 I'm yeah. not sure who's listening, or if they're just tuning in. Um, so that 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 distance is it's it's probably equally and, and the same as it is as it is different um but i don't have to you know people don't have to see what i look like so uh, i think it'd be harder to to do what you're doing but i, I enjoyed the i enjoyed well, it I in, in the that, mix
1: i don't know that it's harder but i think any um sort of presentation of art songs pictures whatever you it's important that you make yourself a little bit vulnerable, mm-hmm. because that's when, when you, if you've raised the stakes a little bit, then the the payoff can be really uh, gratifying. In the on your website and, and some
0: of the initial publicity, and I guess uh, at the time of the making, you were clean shaven, and I, I was I was sort of surprised to see you with a full beard. Um, has have you? sported a beard before is this is this a recurring theme is it on again off again type thing or is it in itself no, perhaps a bit of a wall
1: uh, I, I think there is a wall uh, aspect to it <clears throat> i i enjoy people not recognizing me i really it's not kind of like i'm such a celebrity that people are stopping me on the street but I've, I've, it's almost like I'm invisible sometimes, it seems to me. And, you know, I'm not all, always happy about the fact that early in the morning, as soon as I wake up, I have a sharp object uh, <laughs> pressed to my throat. Uh, so it's been nice not having to having to deal with that. Uh, and... Yeah, it's a way of seeing yourself seeing yourself in a different way. And I think, you know, musically, you have to uh, change yourself. Uh, you have to reinvent yourself constantly to keep from, you know, being repetitive. And I think kind of, that was kind of a fun part of growing a beard, is just to see yourself in a different way.
0: Well, this record um, from the previous is quite a bit different. There, there's, uh, you know, there's 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 there are similarities, but it's a very different record from the from the past one. This one strikes me as much more singer songwriter, more folky, um, less less rocky. The the last one was it was a bit uh, more rocked out. But one of the quotes that I enjoyed reading about you um, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, the national the nash the Nashville Troubadour has been making gripping music for a long time. David only rocks with blistering intensity, but he also mesmerizes. And I think that that uh, does summarize certainly this record. Um, it is a mesmerizing record. It's something that maintains the intensity from start to, t- to end. But also there is there's some advice. There is uh, things for us to, to think about, things that we need to challenge our political leaders and challenge ourselves with. On a regular basis, and I, I enjoyed the record thoroughly. And thank you so much for the for your time. Um, as a as a touring musician, do you enjoy that process? Uh, I know you said you didn't always want to be re- don't always want to be recognized by everybody, but when it's you on stage, who else could it be? But um, yeah, do you enjoy that that aspect of the music
1: that you plan? Yes, I always uh, say uh, the best audience to me is a room full of strangers. Hmm. You only get, you know, one chance to play for somebody for the first time. They may have heard you on a recording, but they've not seen you live. And it's, uh, you know, the places I play. There's a lot of house concerts. They're smaller places. So it's very intimate, mm-hmm. and you can, you can see the, you know, expression on people's faces. You can, you know, if they're, if they're buying into it. It's, it's a very intense. Feeling, and I yes, I enjoy it very much, and really appreciate the fact that people go out and and take the time to listen to live music. Yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I, I enjoy the. I'm not a musician by any stretch of the imagination. I, I do enjoy um, an evening of being taken someplace else for a little while to to be able to leave
1: my problems you know at the doorstep. Was, yeah, when I first got interested in doing music, I remember going out. And hearing, uh, they'd be at the Club 47,
2: which mm-hmm. became
1: Passine in uh, Cambridge, I would hear people playing. It'd be one person uh, standing there, and because the, you couldn't plug in your guitar, it was a folk act, they were kind of rooted in one spot. There was very little movement, and it was just totally entertaining to me that a person could just create these worlds out of, you know, notes and sounds that would just leave me completely riveted. I, I didn't go, wow, I wish there were dancers or mm-hmm. I wish there, you know, it was completely enough that if the person was doing their job right, that they could create this whole atmosphere. And I, I that's always stayed with me. And I hope that I'm, I can do that when I'm playing.
0: David, thank you so much for taking some time and chatting about this beautiful new record. It's been out for a spell this side or the other and, and sharing some time and some insight. More information about David at davidolney.com. Catch his weekly broadcast. It's it's really, it's kind of cool. It's a, it's a fantastic 15-minute commitment that you can take and do whenever you want. Go on to YouTube, go on to davidolney.com and check him out. But do see live music, especially David. Get out and see him. Follow his website, his touring, and part with some of your hard-earned money and buy some of the merchandise. It's one of the greatest things you can do. I think for the artist is to take him home with you. David, thanks so much. It's been a real, real privilege um, and an honor to to chat
1: with you, and I'm grateful for it. Well, thank you. I'm I'm very thankful that uh, that you'd be that interested in this song. So it's really gratifying. Thanks.
0: David Olney was always very interested in the song, the background, the fleshing out of an idea. Maybe it was a song sparked by a story he'd heard. It was also sparked by his outrage at human conditions, as you can hear in Always the Stranger or Wall. He was also interested in collaboration with other singer-songwriters, and earlier in the podcast you heard David speak fondly of the person in the next segment, Abby Gardner.
3: I'm very pleased
0: Welcome Abby Gardner to this podcast. You'll know her work as a singer-songwriter, solo work, a great accompanist, brilliant dobro player, and as one of the founding members of Red Molly. Said of her by WFUV's John Platt, she's not only a first-rate dobro player, but a songwriter to be reckoned with. And I want to thank you for sitting in this afternoon and... um <clears throat> helping me round out this podcast. I was re-listening to the interview that I did with, with David Olney on, um, in July of 2019 for his album This Side or the Other, and he and I spoke about co-writing as a general topic, um, but he also talked about the song that you helped uh, write. He he spoke very fondly of you, and I thought that it might be nice to sort of have that as a um, as sort of a bookend to the project. Thanks for taking a couple of minutes, and I'll try not to choke on my, my words too badly.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Bruce.
0: Well, you guys have, as and, and you said you were looking back in your diaries to see when it began. You, you reckon maybe around 2016 anyway, and, and I certainly know the first one to be in 2018. But you guys did work together periodically. I wouldn't say frequently, but periodically as, as projects would present them. Can you talk a little bit about how... Um, it was to, to work with David, what that process was like. Was it typically face-to-face by appointment? Would you send sort of uh, digital pieces back and forth? And, and what, you know, were the contributions Did he come specifically for you with this particular song or he said, let's block out some time, let's have a co-write, and these are the songs that came of it?
3: Yeah, you know, actually, now that I think of it, we did meet in, the first time we met was overseas in Denmark at the tenor festival and I was there with red Molly. And I just remember listening to him from the side of the stage. We were up next and just being so enamored, um, with his live performance. And, uh, you know, we talked a little backstage and then like he watched our set and then he was like, Oh, we got to write together sometime. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I didn't really put it together that he was, um, that David Olney okay. <laughs> until we had, so then I you know periodically I I make trips down to Nashville, Tennessee and I set up writing appointments with different people and co-writing. Uh so the next time I was going, we got in touch and we're like, "All right, we're going to block out some time." And I then I did my homework and realized like, "Oh my goodness, he's written some of the songs that I just am over the moon about, like Deeper Well." And then I started getting nervous. You know, even though we had already met and we talked about music and we were both like, yeah, I think we could really write some good stuff together. So we I mean, I couldn't tell you what year that was, but the first time I went down and had a writing session with him, it was uh, with his longtime partner um, who he would write with all the time. Uh, Oh, my goodness. I should have looked up his name. (laughs) <laughs> before now, but he's from Oklahoma and I've written songs with him as well, and so we went to his little cabin in the woods and I was so nervous, I felt like I didn't really contribute that much because um, hmm. I was just too self-conscious in the moment, but I, we managed to to write a really sweet song and then made a little demo of it, and I thought these guys are going to think I'm a joke, they're, they're never going to call me back again to write um, but he actually, while we were making the demo, he actually teared up a little bit when I played a little Dobro fill, um, that fit the song. And he was like, well, I mean, what are you doing tomorrow? Can you come back? And I was just so thrilled that at first I could make him cry a little bit, you know? And, um, which is my goal with all people. <laughs> and, uh then he wanted to write again. I felt like, oh man, this is great. I didn't like, I didn't wreck it by being too, you know, wrapped up in my head. And we, you know, from there we just kept meeting. Every time I went back to Nashville, we would find a time, a couple hours usually. Usually it was only like two hours and we would old school, break out the notebooks and uh, whatever ideas we had. We We started to like save ideas specifically for each other that we thought like you know i would tuck one away like ah oh, this is a david song like i know he's going to know what to do with this little nugget of an idea um and he did the same thing with me like he would he would you know go back in his notebook and it was it was always thrilling because after 2 hours we would we would have a song every single time we had a song we were both just like wow look at that it just came out of nowhere here it is see you next time
0: <laughs> I think it's magic you know I, I really do yeah. that, that you can sit down and, and come up with something that that you're both proud of and both feel that you contributed to and it wasn't just you know change a sentence around or let's just restructure this yeah. and um, you know it it really yeah. at, at what process at what point do you, do you really feel like okay we're we on to something this is something not just we're not just gonna finish this for this for the purpose of finishing the song so it's not mm-hmm. incomplete or uncompleted but at what point do you think you, you, you as you're working through the project say oh this one this is this is one. This is really a good song.
1: And um,
3: yeah, that that would always happen, kind of magically, within the first fifteen to thirty minutes. We would toss some ideas back and forth, and then we would really just get into a zone with one of them, kind of naturally.
2: Okay.
3: And uh, you know, like you said, it was always a very very collaborative um, thing. It wasn't like we had a half, half finished song we needed editing. I brought him one of those ones that I thought wasn't done and he listened to it and he said, nah, you don't need my name on that. You know, maybe you should throw it. Like he gave me some advice on it, but he's like, no, 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 no. You know, don't split that with me. Let's, let's start from scratch. Let's get, to, you know, he was, he was very generous that way. And, um, I really, I like it. He's not just like, he was never out for, um, you know nickel and diming the percentages of how much we each wrote on a song or trying to get his name on anything or like he was in the room none of that stuff did he care about at all um and i i really like that i try to take that to my songwriting students i mean you have to be obviously you have to just have a lot of respect for your co-writers and do the right thing like Uh, copyright the songs and give people credit and stuff but it's never it's always in the interest of getting the song where it's supposed to be I've had people come to me with songs they want to uh they think oh let's open this up for a co-write and if I don't feel like I could really contribute to the song I'll just give them advice on the song and like give it back to them you know I, I don't I'm not into it for that reason
0: I I got that impression from David as well that, that he was about the project, about the song, about whatever it was he was in the moment, that was that was what was important for him. Um but reading back on him and, and listening back to the interview, um, I I was impressed with how much he has accomplished or had accomplished in, in you know, with each day, each day he he took a lot out of it. He was Always, always had his hands in in lots of things, and, and maybe they all just sort of came together or not. But that was his plan. I, I didn't, um, I had not had a full appreciation for for the depth um, when I when I met with him and we talked. But he also lent a hand to one of your songs, at least one of your songs, "Empty Suit," mm-hmm. on uh, the album "Wishes on a Neon Sign," which I thought was a pretty rocking bluesy track for sure. Um, and as I listened to the song, was this song metaphorical, or did you have someone specifically in mind? Because you know, you, you wonder, okay, is this just a generalization? Could it apply to a lot of people, or was it about one particular person? <laughs> maybe you don't want to well, say. That's cool.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, that's the interesting thing in songwriting, and especially co-writing, it becomes about more than one thing. You know, the the nugget of the idea um definitely the like the first verse i guess and the the vibe of it um i played for him and and i you know i was angry at someone in particular mm-hmm. but it grew into this you know that chorus section was really his kind of contribution to it and a lot of the uh verse lyrics after that and i don't even want to say who wrote what but but like um, pulling it together as the, the, the words empty suit are what I think is what was his idea. And it's kind of ironic because at the time I was thinking of a female.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So to kind of switch that around and take the feelings I was have but having, and then, you know, switch it to sort of a more stereotypical male, you know, a suit you think of as male. hmm was kind of cool because then it was just anger, you know, in its form. Uh, and it's more pure form, you know, to, to anybody. And then of course, later with the elections and all the political, uh, turmoil of the time when I released that record. And since, um, especially during the pandemic, some people have asked for that re- that song. And <laughs> the list I'm just gets longer and longer ridiculous. and longer. <laughs> yes, 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 yes.
0: <laughs> well, David spoke initially in the interview about, um, about the writing process for him. He felt that as a student of the, the folk music in the early 60s, he said there was a very very steadfast way of writing. Songs had to follow certain patterns, And it really wasn't until you mastered that format that you could then go out and and expound upon it. It wasn't talking just about covering other people's music. It was about being uh, steadfast and respectful. And, and really, just this is how it was done. And you had to master that process before you could go out and, and change a little bit different. And we are digressing a little bit, but I wondered if if you have your own steadfast set of rules when it comes to, to songwriting, if there's song has to follow certain patterns for you, or um, is it really just about how the song is served or the, the rules to, to that particular song? That's
3: an interesting question. Um... I don't like to think of them as rules but I know that when my songwriting students come in with a new song and they're feeling like how can I make this better how can I make it more like whoever they're emulating I like to break it down from there and and see I don't like to put rules on people as they're writing because it's hard enough to write a song and just kind of go for it But after the fact, I I do like to analyze songs and say, well, you know, you need more contrast here and you need more energy here and how can we get that moving a little bit more. Um, Someone along the lines described it as like the rule of twos, that when they analyzed the Beatles' best things, you know, it was if you did something once, that's great. If you repeat it again, that's great. But then you got to change it. So, you know, that's one of those things that is the closest I would come to a rule where it'll help you just keep someone's ear. You know, if you repeat the same line too many times in a row or a verse too many times in a row without some sort of change, that's when you start to lose people. Um, And and the whole idea is to try to keep their attention through the whole song. So, you know, how do you change it here? How do you change it there? And just the spacing rhythm melodically lyrically there's so many different ways to change things up
0: it's
2: uh
3: i I like tools not rules (laughs) maybe
0: that's a better way to describe it i mean he was he was pretty pretty adamant about how this was supposed to go and interestingly enough um zoom was really not a consideration when i did the interview um so i had to only go by what i was hearing from him i couldn't see any facial expressions and uh so it was, it was a different kind of conversation. I really enjoy that aspect of Zoom, that you can see somebody, you can see how the conversation is going, where it's, where it's happening, and, and um, it's, I much prefer them. If I can't do them live in the studio uh, as a radio person, then, then this is a pleasant alternative. But I was unable to see his reaction. But he spoke very fondly of you, all in all. And um, so that's that. That's there,
3: really that's really nice to hear <laughs> I missed him I, we, we had we had scheduled uh some writing time you know that we never made it to and I had I had some ideas tucked away that I'm like uh do I write those ideas do I just burn them in the backyard yeah you know? hmm. so uh I don't know I'll have to dig them out again to see whatever happened with those because I don't think he would want me to just burn song ideas in the backyard he would probably grumble at that actually <laughs> so john hadley that's the guy he would tell me to go to, to oklahoma and meet with john hadley and finish the songs
0: <laughs> hey are you starving for more podcasts you can hear my conversation with musician andy sito on his podcast middle class rock star his work can be found at all the usual haunts where you find great podcasts and as a musician his perspective is different i love being a guest on his show and i found out a whole bunch of stuff that i didn't know about myself more information is at andysido.com that's a-n-d-y-s-y-d-o-w.com I always got the impression from talking with David and, and now talking with you that he never felt that he was ever bigger than the song or bigger than his contemporaries, that he was drawn to people that interested him. And I felt that as I as I spoke with him in the interview, that initially when you don't know somebody and you're being interviewed for a project, you're you're a little bit guarded, you know, because you don't know. You don't know where the where the, the interview is gonna take or which what, what's gonna happen. Um but then he, he kind of warmed up after a little bit, and I, and I always felt that um, that he was very humble. But that that that's the way he was. There was nothing. There was an act about him. And, and maybe as you flesh that out a little bit, you'll appreciate the last question I asked him, and that was about his beard. The the record that he made um, talked a lot about barriers and protecting ourselves from and building up things to keep people in and keep people out. And you know the initial pictures of the press pictures, he is clean shaven, and he since developed a beard. And I said, "Well, David, you know, is the beard a bit of a, um, a barrier too?" And he said, "Yeah, but then I can go wherever I want, and nobody knows who I am."
3: <laughs> Sounds about right to me. Yeah, he he definitely didn't. Uh, you know, he it is true. When I first met him, he was um, just talking about music. You know. It, it took me a while to figure out that he was famous, you know, that he was this writer that so many people respected and all this stuff. He was just excited about music and the songs. and uh, he he left everything else at the door he He took a chance on writing with me, even though I wasn't you know super famous and he I don't get the feeling that he held anything back in our writing sessions that he was saving his best ideas for writing with somebody who could you know get the song further or anything like that he just he would write what he wanted to write with me and and vice versa it was really I quickly forgot because I realized that it it doesn't really matter you know that I wasn't famous or anything he just he wanted to write
0: I want to thank you for your time um, he he yeah. was a, a, a real legend in the community, and um, you know, a rock for many people. And I, I wanted to uh, talk to someone that he spoke well of, and, and just
3: mm-hmm.
0: sort of round out the interview. So, thank you for your time.
3: Thanks so much, Bruce. Appreciate it.
0: I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Conversations at Music My Mother Would Not Like. Please share with your friends, and I hope to see you at an upcoming stream show or someday soon at a live gig. And lots of people to thank for making this program possible. Behind every great artist is a team of folks helping out. This podcast would not have been possible without the assistance of Mary Sack of Mary Sack Management. Without her, the interview with David Oldney could not have happened. It would not have been possible. To my guest, Abby Gardner, and to the sponsors of the podcast hearitthere.com, which is H-E-A-R-I-T-T-H-E-R-E.com and undiscoveredmusic.net. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, you can do so at the website, musicmymotherwouldnotlike.com. And please tell a friend, thanks for listening. I hope you'll join me next time. When my guest will be Annie Sumi with a candid discussion about her latest album, Solastalgia. Until then, do something nice for somebody else for no other reason, no other reason at all Then, just because. So long for now.